Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everybody, it is the Double G Show, and I am sitting here, I'm not exactly sitting here, we're, we're, we're in different places, but thanks to the internet, I have Steve Berman, a lot of you would know him as the Bay Area sports guy as well, and he joined me because uh, I was having some trouble getting a Warrior show going, and I told Steve before we we did this that I was thinking about him because when I was kind of practicing podcasting, we're talking probably back in the early 2010s, Steve came on with me a couple times and, and we did some fun stuff. And I was thinking back, like, when's the last time, you know, when's the first time that I started doing this? And it was probably with Steve. So I just hit him up and Steve was available. And we're going to talk a lot of Bay Area sports, which is about which is what this network is about. But Steve, welcome, man. Yeah, thanks for having me back on. Yeah, it's been a while. Good to be back. So. Uh, you and I are longtime Bay Area sports fans. You had the website where you were covering Bay Area sports, and then you actually were able to get hired. You're currently still at The Athletic, which is awesome because it's like my favorite place to, to read about sports. It's one of the, I, I would say, based on what my phone says, it, it's like The Athletic and like one other app maybe that take up most of my time on my phone. So uh, my, one of my favorite places to go. And you have a unique view in covering Bay Area sports that I'm kind of the first question I want to ask you is as far as the fan fervor, the Bay Area fervor for 49ers right now, how would you compare it to 2012 and 2019? It feels bigger to me. And I'm wondering if that has something to do with Brock Purdy, or am I just a, a prisoner of the moment right now? Uh, not to just disagree with you right away on the first question here, but I think that this, well, not totally disagree. I do think the fervor seems a little stronger than it was in 2019. And, but I don't think that it surpasses what the Harbaugh era had going Interesting. on because everyone was so hungry for the Niners to even be relevant. And then Harbaugh comes on the scene. They go 13 and three, go to the NFC championship game, losing the, the most heartbreaking fashion. I think that could be the most heartbreaking loss in 49ers history with the Kyle Williams situation. Sorry mm-hmm. for bringing that up. And then <laughs> they go back to the Super Bowl and they were favored. They were a better team than the Ravens. I actually covered that Super Bowl. I was in the Superdome. They should have won. They frittered it away at the end, not giving it to Frank Gore, calling yep. a timeout when Kaepernick should have scored on a running touchdown. The, the, everyone was going nuts for a Super Bowl that year. In 2019, I think that it was a little bit more trepidation going on into it. And maybe, I don't know, I think I, I think people were actually more confident because of the way that they beat the Packers and the Vikings in the previous two games. Right now, though, it does seem like the conversation is as much of a fever pitch as it was back in those 2011, 2012, 2013 years when Harbaugh came in, just the force of his personality kind of created a sort of just exuberance in 49ers fans. They kind of followed his lead. I think they don't really follow Kyle Shanahan's lead, but I do think that the Purdy thing has gotten people all fired up partly because of what a great story it is. And then also the national media kind of portraying it, as some sort of fluky deal that we shouldn't actually expect to turn into anything that Purdy's actually just a, you know, a Trent Dilfer or Brad Johnson in disguise. Right. No, I, you know, it's a great point because Harbaugh comes in and the Niners hadn't really even been competitive post Steve young, like Garcia had some, some good years and they, they, they did make a small run in the, in the playoffs, but like week, uh, week in and week out year in and year out, they weren't really, much more than a 500 team in most cases. And in some cases, like some of the worst 
49ers teams in, in history. So that's a great point because Harbaugh did kind of come in as a savior. And he did, you know, even though in, in a weird way because of how he left and the couple of seasons before Kyle where it almost seemed like we were going back to uh, being a doormat, but then getting Kyle in here and, and just reshaping the whole organization with him and Lynch. Uh, but yeah, that, 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 you know, I can't forget about those Harbaugh years because he did, he was, he was the savior uh, of that moment. And, you know, the other thing about that is your, what you also said is his force of personality. Kyle doesn't have that necessarily. No. <laughs> like he doesn't have where the fans just go believe in Kyle. Like we believe in Kyle. Like you may believe in him as a, as a play caller. Cause I think he's a brilliant play caller, but he still has that stench of the, the Patriots Super Bowl on him. And I think you mentioned trepidation in 2019. That was my fear was the Niners are going to get up. And just like that Falcon Super Bowl, somehow they weren't going to be able to close the door. And to some extent, I mean, that sort of still exists, right? Like even though in these, these playoffs, they've been able to come back and they've been able to show that the, they, they can play through adversity. The fact that that is out there is kind of buried in the back of fans mind and come uh, you know, a couple weeks here when we're watching the Super Bowl, if the game is close and it's in the fourth quarter, I know what I'm going to be thinking about. Yeah, definitely. I also think that fans have a little bit of a reason to be worried about the defense just because of the way that the Packers and the Lions, at least at certain points during those games, especially the Lions in the first half, were able just to run at will on the 49ers. And that's not what you saw in 2019. I think there might have even been some overconfidence. Maybe some people were worried about the Shanahan thing, but Mahomes wasn't quite Mahomes yet. And that defense was so dominant that everyone just kind of figured, okay, well, we're going to stop the Chiefs. The Chiefs aren't going to just, you know, put up 30. And they didn't, but I think that the Chiefs' defense was a little bit surprising. This one, the Chiefs' defense is actually what leads their team. Yes. So the worry here is not that it's going to be some shootout like it was against Detroit. It's that it's going to probably, most people probably figure it's going to be a little closer game. The over-under is somewhere around 47. Yeah. I, I, I'd probably wager on the under, which means the over is for sure going to happen. Are you but, surprised the Niners are favored? Um, no, Vegas has loved the 49ers all year. And I think that the Ravens would have been favored slightly if they faced the Niners in the Super Bowl. Those are the two teams that Vegas had kind of settled on at the end of the season as being yeah. the best. I think that they don't really see that Chiefs offense as being explosive enough to really stay up with the 49ers. I don't really know if that's true, if that's going to be true or not, but I wasn't surprised also because there were some sites I saw that had lines for all, you know, four of the potential matchups or would it be eight potential matchups. I don't know. I, uh, and the 49ers that said we're going to be favored by like two and a half or three against the chiefs. And I think that the chiefs performance over the course of the playoffs lowered that a little bit. So now yeah. I've seen one and a half and I've seen two, didn't really surprise me, but sort of like when the Chiefs were playing the Ravens, that game started. The Chiefs marched down, scored a touchdown, and I said, you know, I'm not really a huge gambler, but I would have been petrified putting money on the Ravens and betting against Patrick Mahomes. And I think a lot of the money is coming in, what I saw, on the Chiefs, and I think a lot of betters are feeling the same way. So – when it comes to Brock Purdy, now I'll tell you the stance that me and my uh, co-host Rod have on Purdy, which is we love him. <laughs> we we absolutely are more comfortable watching him than we were watching Jimmy G. But yeah. at the same time, the fandom, uh, the 49ers fans want to anoint him as like the next Joe Montana. And that's where we're like, hold on here. Wait a second. Like, you know, Montana in his, I think technically his third year and second year starting, he won a Super Bowl. And if Brock can do that, then, you know, maybe you start talking about closer to the upper echelon. And look, if he wins a Super Bowl, then that makes him one of three 49er quarterbacks ever to actually win it. So that is high praise right there. But at the same time, I kind of want to hold off on any comparisons because you have to actually go out there and do it. And I think some of it is just the 49ers fans. They want so desperately to grab onto somebody who they can call their own and their generation's version of Joe. But that's where I'm kind of like, man, I lived through Joe. 
I watched that dude come back through injuries, through Steve Young, uh, quarterback competition. And I, you know, we need to kind of put those on hold. Where do you sit with Brock? Well, I think he's a very good quarterback. I think there's a lot more story left to be written. He hasn't even played two full seasons yet. So, and because he wasn't a top prospect with elite measurables and physical tools, then, you know, if he was a a number one or number two, number five draft pick, whatever, you know, six foot four, rocket arm, could run around a lot, and he had this kind of success, I think everybody would be ready to anoint him right now as a future top three quarterback for the next decade plus. That's pretty obvious. Now we have to look at it and say, okay, he does have traits that kind of give you pause if you're an objective observer. He gets a lot of passes batted down the line of scrimmage simply because he's not that tall. Uh, he has a, he has pretty good accuracy, but every once in a while, things go a little haywire for him, especially when he's facing pressure. He's mobile, but he's not Lamar Jackson. He's not Josh Allen. So I, I think, though, that where you, the Joe Montana comparisons come in, and I don't really think that they're, they're that silly. I do think, though, in terms of like, you know, is, is he going to be Joe Montana? Joe Montana was the greatest of all time up until Tom Brady came along and I think Patrick Mahomes might surpass both, Yeah, but you can't compare. The stories, though, are kind of similar. I mean, Joe Montana wasn't the last pick in the draft, but after a really fun college career where he did a lot of great things, NFL teams looked at him and they're like, all right, well, he's listed at 6'2". He might not even be 6'2". He's got a pretty weak arm compared to a lot of quarterbacks in the league. And, you know, so he got drafted in the third round by Bill Walsh. Walsh didn't immediately start him. It kind of was the same sort of situation where he finally went in there because DeBerg was struggling. And then fairy tale run to the Super Bowl with a crazy play, throw to Dwight Clark, the catch, in a game where he had four picks. Yeah. So, you know, he wasn't perfect either. If you look at some of the stats of those Joe Montana playoff games, he wasn't absolutely perfect except for in Super Bowls. In Super Bowls, he was 100% pristine, maybe the best, most perfect quarterback in Super Bowl history. But, you know, he wasn't this guy who was totally perfect. Also, the funny thing, too, is everyone acts like Joe Montana never faced any criticism, any scrutiny ever. And if you're old enough to remember, and a lot of people aren't, but if you're old enough to remember, especially when Steve Young is around, there are a lot of people calling for Steve Young to start. Bill Walsh was somebody who was pretty hard on Joe Montana, was like trying to get him out of town for years before he was actually out of town. So he didn't have a perfect career. No, I mean, Brock Purdy has a lot to go before then, but I do see why fans are like kind of seizing some of these storybook things and kind of hoping that this team is sort of having its 1981 moment. Yeah. The, you know, this whole quest for six stuff, I I hated it when they started calling it quest for six back when uh, Harbaugh was, was, was coaching. I was like, come on, just like, let it happen. We don't need to, you know, create a whole brand about chasing the six Super Bowl, but 81 for people who lived through it, 81 sort of makes you think, well, if that team can win, anyone can get on a hot run and win like that. 81 team is kind of comparable. If I think of a Bay Area sports team, I would actually compare them to the 2015 Warriors because you had the budding superstar in Montana and then in Curry and in Curry's uh, defense, like he just went ridiculous and he was finally healthy. And, And so this team, I would not. I I don't know if I would compare them to 81 necessarily. I'm not sure there's a comparable team in, in 49ers history to this one, because what I see from this team is an inability to kind of get over that hump. Uh, Maybe that maybe Steve Young's 94 49ers, but that was more about Steve than it was. And, and somewhat the defense because they had to replace some of the the slower players to, to keep up with Dallas. But this team is more about okay, can uh you know, can the quarterback whisperer Kyle Shanahan win a Super Bowl? And if he can't, why? Like I think fan like I, I desperately want to see Kyle win this thing because I think there are going to be so many more questions from the national media about him as a winner. And as we know, like it's there's so many different things that go into winning the actual game. Uh, but they were kind of ready to do that last year. And then early this year when the 49ers, you know, lost a couple of big games, it was kind of about Kyle. And maybe it's because we didn't know enough about Brock. But that's the to me, this is kind of like 
Kyle's Super Bowl almost more than anybody else's. Well, yeah, I mean, he's the guy who has the most pressure on him. It's not even close. It, I mean, he's pretty much, I mean, this is a, a sort of overdone comparison at this point, but this is is Andy Reid versus the new Andy Reid, really. The right. Guy who, no, that's a great, it's a great point. That's the reason why so many people are saying it's like, you know, everyone knows that Kyle Shanahan has a lot of great aspects as a coach, but Andy Reid got raked over the coals when he was throughout his time with the Eagles because of things like clock management and, you know, kind of, uh, you know, kind of screwing things up when it counted the most panicking and not really doing what, you know, he should have done in certain situations. Kyle's got a list of those as well. And, you know, I think Purdy is like, yeah, if Purdy just completely crafts the bed and is awful, then that's going to be the discourse for a while. But if he plays, you know, an average Purdy game and they lose a close game, it's all going to file, fall on Kyle for some reason or another. You know, yeah. you, you put Jake Moody out there and he missed a field goal or he was too conservative on this in, at the end of the first half or, you know, in in the third quarter and fourth quarter after success running the ball earlier in the game, he completely goes away from it and just throws, throws, throws on first, second, third down and gets three and outs. I mean, really, like Purdy's, you know, going to be a huge topic of conversation the entire lead up to the Super Bowl. But this is Christian McCaffrey's game right here. I mean, he, he's their most dynamic player on the entire squad. Yeah. And Kansas City is not a great run defense. Pass defense, I'm a little bit more worried. You know, with Chris Jones there, how many b- balls did Chris Jones knock down from Jimmy Garoppolo in that Super Bowl that they lost? <laughs> I mean, he was just a monster, especially in the fourth quarter. And they have a they, they have some good cornerbacks as well. It's not like the Lions where you knew that they were just going to take shots downfield. The 49ers would repeatedly. That's not how you're going to beat Kansas City. It's going to be a heavy, heavy dose of McCaffrey. And so I think McCaffrey, I mean, that really what the 49ers are looking for is the defense figures out a way to keep Pacheco from going crazy. They don't let Mahomes scoot away from them and get first and convert on third and longs. And then McCaffrey just runs, runs, runs up the gut and eventually. And, and Kyle sticks with it to the point where the defense has been softened up and then he keeps going with it in the fourth quarter as opposed to kind of overthinking himself, which is kind of what he did in that Super Bowl against Kansas City. It kind of seemed like – and he definitely did that in the Super Bowl against the Patriots when he was the OC for the Falcons. He just went pass, pass, pass when everyone was like, well, what, what are you doing? You have two running backs who are running over the Patriots. That's why you were up 28-3. to three. So, Right. That's what we're gonna. That's that's where, where I see the Super Bowl going. Your colleague, and I guess he was your boss at one point, Tim Kawakami, who we mm-hmm. celebrate on this channel and on this network. He's you know he he's my favorite person to listen to to read. I, I love Tim and his new podcast feed and all that. It has been great. But he, I think he called it old old coach style or something when he was mm-hmm. actually asked Kyle. You know. Have you know? I and, and I'm assuming you know he, it was about have you you know him growing as a coach versus Dan Campbell, who was kind of like that young coach mentality, right? That we saw yep. in in the game against 49ers, and so to some extent, I, I kind of think that the current Kyle that we see is a coach who has learned from experience, and he's not going to out and out say that you know he he is because of failures in the past, he is now coaching like this. He's not going to go out and out, say that to anybody, but from what I gleam, and I think even what Tim kind of uh, gleamed. Yeah. The guy has, is a way more seasoned coach in 2024 than he was the first time that they went to the Super Bowl, And he has learned from those experiences in, in maybe being patient and, and for them to win that game against the lions, there had to be, a lot of luck, but also a lot of patience uh, on his end. And, you know, that there is a story to be written there, especially nationally, if they do win the Super Bowl, that kind of go back to the the, the years that he had where he had to learn from these mistakes. The Andy Reid thing that you mentioned, uh, I like that story as well because, you know, he was sort of seen as that coach who couldn't get it done in the end. And then you inherit the next coming in Pat Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid's always been innovative on the offensive side. And now you got the perfect coach quarterback combination and they've just been so successful. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I, I love the Super Bowl for the narratives, but I also think 
there are a lot of forced ones, but there are some pretty good ones on the 49er side. And I guess for the Chiefs, it's just really about keeping the the thing rolling, right? Like they they are the dominant franchise of the last five years or whatever, and they're kind of keeping it going. And Mahomes is the new Brady and all that. I do think the the more fun narratives are on the 49er side, though. Sure, we might be a little biased over here yeah, since we're absolutely. inundated with 49 stuff twenty four seven. I guess I there think, is a Taylor Swift thing that is out there that people really care about. Yeah, if we're if we're going on off the field stuff, I think the Chiefs at the 49ers beat for sure. I think that the Chiefs are just extremely confident, uh, and I think to the point where people didn't even quite realize it until they saw it in the playoffs. I think you know the Chiefs played like. Very kind of a mediocre squad. I mean, this is a team that lost to the Raiders. You know, I mean, the, at home they lost to the Raiders this year. So people were just going, okay, well the Chiefs aren't good this year. They have bad receivers. Mahomes is just throwing it up to guys who aren't catching the ball or they're making mistakes. And this is, you know, sorry, you know, Mahomes is good, but he hasn't been quite as sharp as in years past. So yeah, this is not that great of a team. Good defense, terrible offense. They're not going to get past Baltimore. They might not get past Buffalo. So, and then you saw like how like Mahomes really his calm, his demeanors, you know, his confidence that, and also I think a little bit of I don't know about if it's anger or just sort of you could tell he had a chip on his shoulder mm-hmm. during this playoff run. They were underdogs in every game they played, and there was all the talk about how Mahomes never had to do it on the road. He had the everything kind of scooting through arrowhead every single time this is the first time you have to go out on the road and bad conditions and win games and he kept doing it you can tell there was a kind of a defiance there so i think that the chiefs roll into this one extremely confident they've been written off all season long which is kind of funny for the defending champs and they seem even a little a little angry i mean the stuff that's been going on over the last couple of days with Travis Kelsey taking shots at Justin Tucker for warming up on their side of the field, Mahomes <laughs> piping in with thoughts of his own on that one. This is a team that's – I think Kelsey you could put him in that group too. They're feeling themselves. They're like, all right, listen, you guys have been talking about the Ravens all year long. You thought that the, the Bills are going to beat us. And we're Mahomes and Kelsey. You know, when it comes up to a big situation, we're going to come through. We're going to kick your ass. And so far, they've done that going through the playoffs uh, on some pretty tough road games. So I think they're going to go to the Super Bowl with the exact same mindset. And really, that because they really on offense aren't that talented. It's true. I think Pacheco is a fun running back to watch. Uh, someone said that he runs as if he's angry at the ground. <laughs> yeah. I think that's somebody, like, I mean, they have to ball that dude up. He is not as, as fast and shifty as Gibbs or even maybe quite as powerful as Montgomery, Mm -hmm. but he's a physical hard runner. And if the 49ers are leaving those gaps open, he's going to shoot through them and make some explosive plays. But still, I mean, this is, this is a game where I think the defenses are going to be the most important. That's why I'm a little worried for the 49ers sake. Cause that defense, eh, I mean, uh, they did have a good second half against the lions who kind of shot themselves in the foot a little bit, but they're going to have to figure out some ways to one, not let all those gaps be open for running backs where they just shoot through and the linebackers have to make tackles. And also their tackling has been pretty bad all season. No, it's a great point. Uh, I was in the, the, the big run uh, in the, in the lions game, I think it was off of a reverse uh, their first touchdown, I believe the Jameson Williams. Right. Um, I was watching the replay and so, you know, I'm, Obviously, I'm always thinking about Jair Brown because smart offensive coordinators will try and and pick on the rookie, pick on the one, you know, who who may not have the most experience in games like this. And I was like, where is he? Where is he? And he was actually in the in the right area to make a play. But what happened is, is Ambry Thomas overran the play. So as he's trying to circle back, he cuts right in front of Jair Brown, and Jair Brown has to physically push him in the right direction, but it also takes Brown out of the play. So it's just stuff like that where you realize that they do have some inexperience, especially in that defensive backfield, and you know that could be cause for concern against uh, an explosive duo like uh, Andy Reid and, and Pat. Have you thought about the outcome at all? This, this, you know, week and a half out. 
for one thing, Ambry Thomas has just had a garbage yeah. playoff so far. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, he wasn't quite bad. as bad against the Lions, but my against the Packers, it was like, dude, <laughs> what is going on? It's scary. Uh, yeah, I I don't know. Uh I this is this is I mean, this game really should be a pick'em in terms of that's what the I think. That's what it's, I think it's, too. It's hard. It's hard to favor one team or the other. You could you can argue all day long about either one of these teams winning. Uh, my head says that Mahomes is going to figure this out and win. And uh, obviously, around here, the story that would make our lives more fun and interesting <laughs> would be if 49ers came through. And when I do think there's a, a world where they can, I I think that it would have been. Nice, obviously, if they had a couple of 35 to 12 wins heading into the Super Bowl uh, and sort of had the same kind of run in the playoffs that they did in 2019. But, you know, it, it, I think it is it was a mental blow to have to come back from deficits late, which they hadn't really done. They kind of should have done it against Cleveland, but Moody missed the field goal. But whatever. It, they they didn't get it done. So I don't know. I, I, I could see. The only thing I can't see in this game is a blowout. I would actually be shocked. Then again, after watching the first half against Detroit, I was like, yeah, I wouldn't have seen this coming. I'm going to get blown out 48-17, and oh, my God, what's going to happen now? So I don't know. I I, I, I can't bet against Mahomes. I really can't. Uh, but obviously the Bay Area is hungry for that sixth title, yep. and it's definitely not a possibility. Yeah, I mean, if you're thinking about close game, like all of the the close game platitudes sort of lean towards the Chiefs. You just talked about him, Jake Moody, right? Is anybody wearing a 49ers jersey, fans included, confident that he's going to make a tough kick? Nobody is. Like, you're just sort of like closing your eyes at that point. So, and then you have, you know, the, the clutch QB of all clutch QBs right now playing. And that lead that would lead you to believe that if it's a close game, the Chiefs probably uh, you have to lean towards them. Uh, Chris I, Jones too, like honestly, this dude. It, every time in the fourth quarter, he just comes through with like two or three game changing plays, and he just absolutely devoured the 49ers in the Super Bowl that they played last time. So that, that's what I keep seeing is like if the Chiefs win, it's going to be Mahomes running around doing Mahomes stuff, somehow finding Kelsey wide open, and you're like. Where the hell are Greenlaw? <laughs> yeah. How did this happen? We have yep. two of the best middle linebackers in the entire NFL, and and this is happening again. And then and then Chris Holmes batting down like four birdie passes. In I like just remember watching game. last year's game. It, it was a regular season game, but it was kind of a litmus test game. And I was like, okay, the 49ers aren't really that close to the Chiefs at that point. And that oh, yeah. was, you know, they that was killing him with the screen game. Yeah. Like Bosa was getting Bosa had his worst game of the year and he was the defensive player of the year. And it, all I remember from that game is Bosa over pursuing ball going right over his head, 30 yard gains just again and again and again. And then also you, you saw some of the sort of the, the chips in the armor of Jimmy Garoppolo that game too. Yeah. Purdy came in at the end of that game and had to play a little bit just because yeah. the game was so out of hand. So yeah. I don't think it's going to go anything like that game. The Chiefs, I, I, yeah, I don't think so. At that time, the, the, it it just I just think about that game when I think about okay, how close are they? And I go, well, they played last year. That wasn't close. The Chiefs had a down year. Niners had a great year. So that even some things out a bit. But yeah, I mean, if you, if you are leaning towards this being a close game, I think most people probably think the Chiefs would would have that. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's uh, quickly change gears because I do want to talk about some Warrior stuff with you. Well, you you had mentioned when I contacted you were actually at the Warriors game, which was that was a delightful game compared to what the Warriors fans have had to deal with of late. All of a sudden, I think, you know, you go back two weeks and it was like, gosh, we got to find a way to get Andrew Wiggins off this team. You know, th- this team is so bad and so old. And all of a sudden, two weeks later with Draymond back. And it's like, oh, Wiggins and Kaminga and Draymond together are actually 
you know, doing things that uh, that look like winning basketball. I mean, have we completely 180 on whether or not there needs to be a trade to save this season? Like, I mean, that trade may not even be out there, but what what do you think about this, you know, Wiggins and Kaminga and Draymond stuff and, and whether or not you think uh, they need to make a big move? Well, how do you make a big move at this point if you're not giving a Kaminga? And they're not. There's no way they're going to. And, and why would you at this point? He's a guy who's relatively inexpensive. He's going to be up for an extension soon, but you're still talking about a player who right now is coming to his own, especially offensively. Uh, that was the first game I attended live all year. I used to cover the Warriors all the time. This one I went to as a fan. And, you know, Kaminga was an absolute force in the second half. And it was, I heard Draymond Green on his show say, because he did a post game show after that game against the Sixers saying that, you know, some guys, you know, they get 20 points. And you're like, oh, wow, you got 20 points. How'd that happen? And that's not that way with Kaminga, he was saying, because he was dominant. You know, I mean, he, yeah. he had some plays where he's like, okay, the strength and power and, and ability and leaping ability that you saw as a rookie, and you're like, this is tantalizing, is finally getting put together into something to where he has a couple go-to moves now where he can just get to the basket whenever he wants to which is funny because that's actually kind of what he was saying. He's like, no one could guard me when he was complaining earlier in the season. Everyone's like, all right, well, I mean, let's let's actually see that before you start complaining to the press, JK. <laughs> I don't know, though, what kind of moves you can make. I mean, we, yeah, Wiggins looked – he probably had his best game that I've seen this last one, but he's been, he's been playing better lately anyways. Yeah. But the, the game against the Sixers, just the activity on both ends, uh, he was really going at it defensively. Uh, active hands instead of just sort of passively being in front of a guy, kind of staying with him and then letting whatever happened happen. And I, you know, obviously it helped that they didn't have Maxi. They didn't really have Embiid. Embiid was hurt the entire game and then got injured when Kaminga fell on his leg. Why was he even playing? I, I still don't understand. He was oh, like no, a, he was a ha- he was half of whom he usually is. It's a national story. Some people think that it was because he got a lot of flack for not playing it in Denver, and then he missed the next game in Portland. And then the conversation started turning towards, you know, the 65 game requirement for all NBA and MVP and all that kind of stuff. And now all of that's irrelevant. We don't really know what the MRI results are going to be, but he could be out for a long time. Who knows? But either way, it's about the Warriors. I think, you know, what else are you going to do? I mean, Wiggins is still, his value is not high. I mean, he has a decent contract, but you're probably making a lateral move in terms of the player, especially because the Warriors do still have confidence that he can be the guy that they want and the guy, maybe not quite to the level of the 22 finals, but, you know, at least a similar semi-facsimile of that kind of player who has some value in the league. You're going to trade Chris Paul for what? You have to add some sweeteners like first-round picks, which they are kind of loath to do. They're not trading Clay, you know, and I already mentioned they're not trading Kaminga. I could see them dealing Moody, but I don't really know what Moody's value is right now. People have mentioned trading Looney. Looney has no value at all in the NBA whatsoever, He's underpaid because no one else wanted to pay him. So the yep. Warriors paid him. They He rewarded them, but now he has no value at all. So I'm not really sure what you're going to get there. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I could see maybe a move for a, a piece that could help in a, in a way like if they, you know, Moody, if they could tra- package like Moody and Paul for something, maybe. But I'm just not seeing what's out there that fits financially, especially because the Warriors want to get their books in order for next year. And Paul's an expiring contract. So yeah. I think it's going to ride this out, to be honest. Yeah, and and that I don't think you would have said that two or three weeks ago, right? Like it's a complete sort of change of of direction here. Uh, so you know they're going to have issues, rotational issues again very soon. GP is going to be back in the next couple of weeks. It sounds Chris Paul, uh, you know, he's getting better, and then Moses Moody seems like he's the the closest to being ready. Though that's three guys that you're. And maybe Moody is is probably going to be the odd man out there, but that's Definitely. three guys to to figure out how to add back into this rotation. Now, Chris Paul immediately takes these terrible Corey Joseph minutes. Um, <laughs> and I, I would imagine uh, our guy you know, for for this show, my son and I, uh, B Pods Prajemski, he's probably going to get less minutes uh, as well with 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 CP back, um, and you know. Gary Payton, 
I, I would imagine he takes a little bit from a few different guys. He, you know, he's not a 30 minute guy. He's going to play 15 to 20 in certain spots, but I, I just like, man, I'm not sure if we've, if they've resolved the rotational issues that they had, but I think the one thing is, is that, you know, Kaminga might not be playing 39 minutes every night. Uh, if Steve Kerr, you know, is doing this the way that he wants, but he's got to play 35 now. Like he's got to, he has to be the one, the one fringe guy prior to these guys getting hurt who is absolutely starting in the rotation and playing lots of minutes. Like his minutes cannot be screwed with no matter what. Yeah. The only way I see Camille going back to the bench is if they get uh, a center who can give them a little bit of offense somehow. I'm not really sure where that would come from, who that would be. And then you have Kamiga come in sort of as a super sub because I do not see Wiggins going to the bench again for the rest of the season unless he goes back to playing the way he did for the first couple of months. The Chris Paul thing is probably the biggest one because, you know, I think with GP2, he's more of a matchup-based guy and he gets hurt all the time. Can you really expect him to stay healthy for very long? I mean, I, I love the way he plays. I've always been a big proponent of his game but he's always getting hurt all the time. Yeah. And that kind of stuff sort of works itself out anyways. You know, if, if he comes back, somebody else that would be in the rotation is probably going to get dinged up somewhere or another anyway. The Chris Ball thing is the one that sort of kind of has the biggest sort of shadow over this to me because Kerr seems to believe that he has to be in the closing lineup. And that I see his point kind of because he wants, you know, an, another guy who's going to keep turnovers down. But when you have Steph and Draymond, I'm not really sure you need another facilitator. What you need is somebody who can get stops. And Chris mm-hmm. Ball, at this point in his career, can't. No. But Kerr's going to play him in the end of the games anyways because of what he likes from Paul and also because of his stature, I think. I think Steve does make a lot of these decisions based on on resume and what they've done before. So, uh, that's the one really I think it's going to make a big shift. I think GP2 when he plays is only going to add just because he adds energy and he adds defense. Uh, and that's, those are two things that the Warriors really could use in spades yeah. off the time. Absolutely. And Moody, you mentioned, yeah, Moody will just be out of the rotation. I, I don't see pods losing that many minutes. He'll lose a few with, with Chris Paul coming back. Moody, you know, if Clay's got to, you know, needs to sit out a game, maybe Moody gets a little bit of run, but I think mostly he's going to be buried like he was right before he started kind of playing better and then he got hurt. You mentioned Clay, and I'm glad you mentioned Clay because my first thought after watching the Philly game, and you also mentioned that that Maxi w- was not out there. My first thought was, I'm not sure they missed Clay at all in that game. Like, <laughs> well, yeah. I, I think if you replaced uh, Clay's or Pod's minutes with Clay's, you would have been fine. Unless Clay, the only thing that with Clay is every once in a while when he has a real stinker of a game, it throws everything off because they'll be in some sort of a rhythm. And then Clay just starts gunning because he was trying to get himself into rhythm. And that just throws the whole thing off. And then he, you know, and he gets down on himself because of that. But I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think Clay is still a pretty decent defender on bigger players than he used yeah. to be. And also in that game, I mean, yeah, they had a nice all-around game and they won. And But it was against a very depleted Sixers team. And there was a lot of overpassing in that game. That was one thing I noticed that was bad on the Warriors. And a lot of it's because Corey Joseph just plays hot potato with the ball whenever he gets it. <laughs> but Sarge was doing the same thing. I mean, yeah. there, were di- there were at least four different, five different times where they just kept swinging the ball around and no one would take the shot. And at least with Clay, the ball's going to stick in his hands. If he has one inch, he's going to take it. And they could have yeah. used a little bit in that in that yeah, game. Yeah, that's so, a good point. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think a lot of the Clay stuff is a little bit overdone. He's still a pretty decent defensive player. He's not what he was, but he's also shooting fairly well right now. I, I think that a lot of people are sort of itching to move on for whatever reason. And I think he's still a valuable player to this team. Is he what he once was? No, but I could see why Steph probably, if they came to him and said, hey, yeah, we have a deal where we can get these two guys, you know, and or this one player, if we trade Clay, and if this player is an absolute superstar, I think Steph would be like, nope, not happening. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a great point. Uh, we we are more frustrated, not even frustrated. We're just kind of 
saddened sometimes when Clay doesn't play well because you love him so much and remember, you know, he he's like the energizer energizer bunny when he's playing well. And but it's almost like when he's playing poorly, the offense kind of gets a little depressed around him. And I don't yeah. know, that's not really measurable, but somebody made a comment that I I thought about and I hadn't thought about it prior, which is the difference between Clay offensively now and then and previously was you still respect the outside shot, but what you don't respect necessarily is his ability to get around the closeout. And I thought that was kind of interesting because, you know, you close out hard on Clay and he's one dribble to the right. He's pretty tall and long and, you know, he could then create and maybe get to a mid range or maybe even get to the bucket. And he doesn't seem to have that much ability to do that anymore. Uh, which, you know, it's all about his athleticism based off of his injury. So that makes sense. Uh, and the way that the Warriors play is just constant movement, movement, movement. So, um, no, the, the, you know, I, I'm this season, we're kind of at the point of where we're like, mm, hopes are, are pretty low, but we were sort of, you know, I'm just thankful that the West isn't as uh, crazy as it was last year because they would have no chance if it was. Um all right, last last thing before we get you out of here. I know you have some uh, some daddy duties to, to do. Uh, <laughs> the Giants. So you and I, when I would see you most just around town, would be at Giants games. You know, just see you're you're doing something. Just wait, hey, there's Steve. The Giants. Gosh, they have to be like, as far as the just the Bay Area and the zeitgeist and everything. They're kind of an afterthought, though. Spring training is coming, and I think once spring training comes back, they'll be back in the, in the, in the mind. But I, I almost felt like this offseason was like a giant PR test. Like, can the Giants get the fan base excited again? And I, not to – I mean, maybe some of it is their fault. I'm sure some of it is their fault. But they didn't – you know, they, they got Jung-Hoo Lee, which is great. He's – you know, kind of, we, we don't know too much about him, but I like his energy and I like his personality. They made a trade for Robbie Ray, which will not even pay off until, you know, the second half of this season. A little bit of a Trent balky ish kind of uh, maneuver if there. It, if Trent it pays off at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah, if it pays off at all, because he could then opt out at the end of the year. And or I don't know, I just terrible. <laughs> well, we've seen that. We got, we got death ball Ross Stripling still. Yep. Right but like, how do you feel about how the Bay Area currently feels about the San Francisco Giants? Because it wasn't that long ago when you, I would see you at the ballpark and they were still like the biggest thing in town. Yeah, I mean, not how many people are going to be going to the ballpark this year? I mean, I think you could t- describe it in two ways, angry or ambivalent or both because of they're angry that the fact that they're ambivalent, you know, you can't keep promising a Rolls Royce and keep coming through with a Toyota Corolla, like it's after time goes by and you're seeing the same thing happening in Boston, Red Sox fans are just as pissed off as giants fans. Yeah. And the, and I've looked at those two teams from the same lens for a long time, because when I started Barry, a sports guy back in the day, and I was covering the giants every day, at, you know, at what was then AT&T park. I thought that there was an opening before they won that world series in 2010 to be the West coast Red Sox. Yeah, maybe they aren't the Dodgers who are the West Coast Yankees, but they still are, you know, they're maybe winning more than the Yankees slash Dodgers. And they have just as big, almost of a priority or, you know, sort of a, a I, I guess, a, a, a head list of stars and, uh, you know, attention as as the other team, you know, and there's sort of a rivalry that actually makes sense. Right now, there is no rivalry. The Dodgers have been kicking their ass for years, not just in the field, but also for free agents. And the Giants keep going, well, you know, we gave them the same offer and we couldn't get it. And that makes you seem like you're pathetic. Yeah. And then also you're just, you, you know, you got a situation where you have a team that used to have a top 10 payroll every year. And they've been like in the middle, you know, around number 15, 16 for a while now. And a lot of people are looking and they're going, okay, why is this the case? Why was Farhan Zaidi brought here? Was it to build up the farm system and then find diamonds in the rough and then pounce on big free agents like the Dodgers do? Or was it just to save money for the ownership group while they're more worried about the Mission Rock development nearby them? And they're just a real estate company right now that happens to field a baseball team. And they just feel like, 
well, we won three titles back in the early 2010s. And so, you know, fans are still going to come. They're still going to love us, you know, and, you know, we're going to, but we're going to save some money in the process and make sure the balance sheets are good after we lost all that money in 2020 and 2021. Right. So a lot of talk about, you know, when Greg Johnson said, you know, we hope to break even fans got upset, even though that's what all the owners want to do. None of them want to lose money, but that they're vocalizing instead of we will spend whatever it takes to win. That's not great, especially in a market when you have the 49ers have been, except for, you know, a couple of years in the middle there with the, you know, the post Harbaugh pre Shanahan era, but mostly for the past 15 years, it's been a lot of NFC championship games, right? The, you know, the Warriors are one of the glamour franchises in the sport, despite having a weird season this year. Yeah. A lot, you know, you still got Steph and, and Draymond's a huge story and Clay's still a, a very popular figure. You know, if you're not on Twitter all the time, most people still, still love the guy. The Giants don't have anyone really right now that you're like, you know what? I would pay to see that guy. Logan Webb's the closest. And yeah. as good as Logan Webb is, it's not Tim Lincecum circus 2008, 2009, 2010, right? It's or even or Bumgarner, right? Or Bumgarner, yeah. Or even Matt Cain. I mean, well, yeah, he's, he's like Matt Cain, right? He's even better than Matt Cain, anyways. But still, what I'm saying is that the, you know, there's no real star power on this on this team, and I think that a lot of people feel like they've been sold a bill of goods, and nothing's really happening, and we're wondering why. You know, is is it because they they're just saying they want to spend money to make it seem like they're trying? Or is it, you know, that they actually don't really want, you know, or is that they are trying to spend money and no one wants to come because of, you know, all the reasons that have been mentioned ad nauseum, the city. I I think it's more the park and the weather at the park that hitters don't want to come and that they don't want to overpay for pitching. So when you have that, if hitters don't want to come and you don't want to overpay for pitching, then you're not really going to be getting a whole lot of free agents. So all you're left to do is hope that the farm system pans out and the farm system so far hasn't really panned out. Anyways, that's a lot of words to say that people are pissed off and I don't really blame them at all. Yeah. My co-host for the giant show, we do Thompson and Clark. We, we are always kind of going like, okay, if you had a small child, whose giants Jersey are you buying for that small child? Like that has to be a current day player. You're not buying a Conforto Jersey. Um, you know, maybe you previously would have been maybe a Brandon Crawford Jersey or Buster Posey Jersey, Mm -hmm. but today that, you know, who even knows, I guess your hope is that it's it's like Logan Webb, Camilo Duvall, maybe if you're really into catching defense, Patrick (laughs) Bailey. Yeah. We were thinking Bailey, or you're just hoping that like Luciano or Matos, you know, kind of has a breakthrough because they're kind of exciting if they do. But you know, pitchers are are great. But Logan Webb is a is is a ground ball and innings specialist, right? He's not striking out, you know, crazy numbers of hitters. Even though he does have a pretty good strikeout rate, but like he he is oh he's uh, he's good. But he also gets no run support, so like yeah. it's not really that fun to go to a game and lose two to one or one to nothing either. And, he, and he's a Kings fan. That, that's the only problem. I and have. they haven't had a <laughs> <laughs> they haven't had, they also haven't had a I think he's a Raiders fan too. Yeah, I, 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 I might be wrong there. But well, he after the after the 49ers beat the Lions, he tweeted something about how what a terrible Super Bowl or something like that. Oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's a pretty big Raiders fan. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's one of those guys for sure. Yeah, I mean, like they haven't had a 30 home run hitter since Barry Bonds. Yep. I mean, come on. I know that the park isn't that easy to hit home runs in, but still, like, come on. It's it's almost impossible. Uh, I like Grant Brisby, you know, bring Belt back, and then half of the – at least the, the the fan base will have something to to be mad about, you know, that they could actually physically watch on the field. The half oh, of the fan Grant base that doesn't content. Like Are you kidding? I oh, love yeah, Grant. absolutely. Grant's my boy. I work with him. I edit a lot of his content. You know, Grant would love the Belt Wars to come back because – He's having trouble trying to figure out ways to actually get people I mean, there. I mean, there's still a lot of people who are reading this stuff and the comments are like pretty angry these days, mostly yeah. at Farhan, but also the, but you know, at least belt coming back would provide, you know, some levity cause he's funny and he's interesting, you know, actually maybe the best left-handed hitter on the team when he's healthy. Oh yeah. And then, you know, just the content, you know, people just, you know, having one opinion, one way, one pinning the other way right now. I mean, I thought that the Giants couldn't get much more boring than they were two seasons ago. Last season, they were unwatchable. They have rules now designed to make fast teams have the advantage, <laughs> to make stolen bases easier, right? 
they and the Giants far on said, oh, or, or we're going to get younger and more athletic. By far the least stolen bases last year. All Giants fans want is to see guys running and catching balls, hitting balls over the fence, and running on the bases, and they're getting none of that. And that's just really when you want when you turn on the game, it's just a bunch of kind of station, slow station, guys yeah. who are injury prone, have a nice idea of the strike zone, and then they get pulled in the seventh inning for another guy who's similar but hits the other handed. That is just not good product. No, not at all. Um, so. I want to thank you for for doing this. This was a blast. Uh, I always like talking to you, and uh, I just realized it was just too long since I'd seen you. Um, But so, you know, support Steve at The Athletic. The Athletic is great. Uh, I I guess on my Apple News now, I get some athletic content just for my Apple News thing. So, you oh yeah, are... we're on Apple News now. Uh, I, I used to write about all kinds of stuff. Uh, right now, I'm on the editorial side, on the MLB side, actually. So, there you go. I'm reading grants, editing grants and bags of stuff, and everyone else on the, on our team. I write occasionally. I'm gonna try to write a little bit more, but yeah, we're on Apple News. You know, you know the Athletic and we, the Athletic, the Bay Area group of writers is the best group that we have in the entire company. So everyone it's, knows it's amazing. For the Bay Area, I'm just constantly spreading the word about the athletic and shooting out free, you know, using the free article thing or whatever, the free pass or whatever that that is in the app because it's just it's just my favorite. So, all right, you can follow Steve on Twitter. Uh, I, I refuse to call it X at BA Sports Guy, and yeah, support the athletic. It's a great publication. Anything else? I also refuse to call it X. And great talking to you again, Garrett. Thanks for having me on. All right, so for Steve, I am Double G. We will see you when we see you. Peace out. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.